You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of timely topics. Those topics are the ones that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics and how they'll unfold, we'll sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the conference board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin, the CEO of the conference board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to discuss the results of the C-Suite Outlook, our flagship survey of over 1,100 CEOs and C-Suite executives spanning the globe. What's keeping CEOs and other executives up at night? How are they thriving amid challenging times? And what are their priorities for 2023, especially as it relates to environmental, social, and governance issues, or so-called ESG issues? Joining me today is Paul Washington, the Executive Director of the Conference Board's ESG Center. Paul, welcome. Thanks, Steve. Great to be with you. Okay, so the conference board just fielded this major annual study. We had a lot of questions in here as it relates to ESG. Just give a you know a, a quick overview of the methodology where it was conducted and so forth, so people understand how we did it. Oh, sure. As you mentioned, it was uh, 1,100 C-suite executives, including 700. CEOs, nearly 700 CEOs. The survey was conducted from mid-November to mid-December of 2022, and we uh, reached out to C-suite executives, surveyed them in the U.S., Europe, Latin America, and Asia. Yeah, and we broke out China and Japan in addition to those other areas. And it's interesting when you look at the results that there are some similarities you know, the responses from the CEOs in each of these areas, but there's also differences uh, in their key concerns. Just, you know, highlight some of the similarities and differences. Yeah, I mean, some of the similarities are concerns about climate and about um, economic opportunity and so forth. I mean, ones you might expect that span the globe. But, you know, some of the things that are kind of different in regions are, you know, water, for example, ranks relatively high as a concern in the U.S., but not in other territories. In China, air pollution is a top environmental concern. It doesn't make the list in many other areas. Um, on, on the social side, significant differences in um, how people are viewing gender equality and racial equality as priorities. So really notable differences around the globe. Yeah. So what were the top priorities or the top worries among CEOs? So the the top concerns for CEOs in terms of external impacts are economic downturn and recession. That's number one around the globe uh, and in the U.S. Inflation, number one around the globe and in the U.S. and other territories. COVID-19 comes in number three, but it, you know, doesn't show up in many other areas as a, a top concern. Global political instability is number four, and supply chain disruptions number five. Yeah. So those are the those are the the, the big uh, areas. Then when yeah. we drill down into the sort of the ESG areas, we talk to them about their um, stakeholder priorities. You know, customers, yes. employees, owners, suppliers, business partners, and so forth. How did they rank their stakeholders? 
Well, that's interesting. So for the second year in a row, CEOs around the globe said, and, and this is really consistent, basically, said that when they're making business decisions, the stakeholders that they consider in rank order are customers, employees, and their owners, investors. So it, it's easy to remember because it follows CEO, customer, employee, owner. Um, and I think that what's what's notable about this to me is a couple of things that stakeholder capitalism, the notion that companies are here to serve not only the interest of their investors, but of all their stakeholders, and that that's a legitimate goal of the of the firm, has really taken hold around the globe. In fact, in some areas around the globe, it's it's sort of been the mode of operation for a while. But that but that this is this is sticky. It also, frankly, makes sense if you, you know if you're a CEO and you're thinking about the long term welfare of your organization. Uh, well, sort of everything stems from satisfying your customers. That's where there are the revenue opportunities, the growth opportunities, and so forth. So being customer-centric, um, I think, is completely consistent with both stakeholder and, frankly, stockholder capitalism. Yeah. And th then we asked, you know, what were their environmental priorities? What'd you hear on this question? Okay. So here, there's the top priorities around the globe are, for global CEOs, are energy, climate, waste, greenhouse gas emissions, and plastics. Um, so those are those are the top ones when you look globally. And then what you see is that there are some significant um, regional differences. So for example, China, air pollution is ranked quite high. It's the only area where it is. And that makes sense because while China used to be one of the top five most polluted countries in the world in terms of air pollution, it's still in the top 10. So that's that's a major concern. In, in the US, water ranks number four compared to its ranking worldwide of number six. You know, in this case, I don't think it's the water quality issue of, you know, Flint, Michigan and so forth that's driving it. I think it's much more a question of water scarcity if you think about it, about 20, 25% of the US GDP is generated west of the Rockies, where water scarcity is a persistent and, and growing problem. So I think water is one of those areas that, um, you know, it shows up quite high in the in the US. Um, in, in Europe, it's, it's, it's really hardly there at all. And I think this just underscores that as much as you know, you have the global convenings on climate and so forth, environmental issues play out quite differently by region of the world, by country, by area within countries. And so when companies are talking about these issues, as much as they're making these global commitments on climate, they need to talk about environmental issues in a way that's really pertaining to their, the areas where they, they operate. Yeah, this water issue is really interesting because it, it's not only for human consumption and, and obviously uh, consumption by animals, but it's also necessary for all the agriculture, which would yeah. you know, feed, uh, feed the nation. Um, it's also necessary for chip production, computer chip production. It is, it is a huge consumption. And 
necessary for hydroelectric. And so you start thinking about some of these industries that we really would like to reshore and bring back, and it we don't we don't have enough water to do it. That's that's exactly right, and yeah, it's and so that's why water, for example, is a much higher concern for manufacturing CEOs than it is for those in obviously in the service industries. Um, so this is one of those core issues of infrastructure that this country is going to need to address, whether it, you know, it's in terms of onshoring or in terms of, frankly, having sustainable growth. Yeah. Now, interestingly, the 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 item that was ranked pretty much the lowest in the West is uh, biodiversity and conservation. Why do you think it ranks so low? You know what? It, it, and there, there's sort of a disconnect here. I think sometimes people think about biodiversity as, oh, it's a, it's a, Brazilian rainforest issue, but it it really is quite interconnected with with climate. But I just don't think that it necessarily rises to the same level of concern. I also think, frankly, this is this is an issue of nomenclature, and we see this too in in other areas, like when we talk about race around the world. Just the term race doesn't resonate the same way around the world as it does in the U.S. Biodiversity may not resonate quite so well as if you sort of if if you were talking about more in terms of agricultural terms, people might understand it that, oh yes, or in terms of pharmaceutical terms, oh yes, we need biodiversity. But sometimes biodiversity in itself, the term can not be something that CEOs, you know, automatically think of. Yeah. Speaking of race, uh, that really showed up in our next question, which was uh, regarding social priorities. How did the uh, CEOs rank social priorities? Okay, so not surprisingly, at least to me, um, economic opportunity, equality, and security rank as the top social priority for CEOs um, around the globe. And, you know, I think that's actually good news because when you think about where can CEOs, where can companies have the biggest impact Sure, they're environmental stewards, they've got these broader societal responsibilities, but the intersection between business and social health, it really happens in the area of economic security, opportunity, and fairness, because after all, companies are economic engines. So I think, you know, one thing I'd say, we've been sounding the alarm bell on this for companies for a while. They need to do a better job of telling their story on how they have a positive impact on the economy. You know, if they devoted as much attention to that as they do to greenhouse gas emissions, I think they'd be doing themselves a service because that actually is where companies have a huge impact. When you get into um, other areas of, of equality, so gender equality is ranked number two by CEOs as a, as a social concern almost everywhere, but it's number six in Japan and China. Similarly, racial equality is ranked number three in the U.S., but it's six overall and 10 in Europe, nine in Latin America, and eight in Japan. So now some of this, again, like with race, it could be related to um, just the language. People outside the U.S. may just think of race as a U.S. problem, and they're not really thinking about it in terms of, wait, you know, ethnicity in terms of nationalism and culture and religion and language and so forth, or caste or social class. So there are similar there are similar issues outside the U.S. 
they just may not be coming under the heading of of race. But but I do think that this you know highlights really an issue for CEOs in the U.S. when they are talking about racial equality or gender equality, they're so often talking about it from a very US-centric perspective. And they gotta make sure that they're phrasing it in a way and their policies are phrased in a way that resonate in regions around the world where there may be a much lower recognition of the problem or a different way of defining the problem. Well, part of it is the, you know, the diversity of the uh, population in the United States mm -hmm. and you know all the social issues uh, around that. It, and it's tied up with what you were talking about earlier, which is uh, economic opportunity and equality. Whereas, you know, in your Europe and Japan, you have a much more homogenous uh, society, and and so therefore you don't have uh, some of the same tension. So some some of it's pop, just plain population. Yeah, some of it's plain population, or it's just how they you know they don't view it as as race, or they they don't see it as a problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. It very, it's it's very interesting. Well, mm -hmm. you know the the other the other area was sustainable capitalism, which is quite important um, in Japan, Europe, and U.S., which are the most developed areas uh, economies of the world. So number sustainable capitalism is number one uh, in Japan, and yet in China <laughs> and in Latin America, it's less. In China, it's number seven. And you know you could say, well, that's because they don't think of themselves as a capitalist society, right? Yeah. Or, you know, they're they're in a different place in their growth curve, you know, so they're they're still looking at, you know, achieving capitalism and not so much uh, or at least the benefits of capitalism and not so much um, su sustaining it. And you're right. Capitalism itself is a, a term that's not, you know, even if it's practiced, sometimes it's not acknowledged. Yeah, and public health is is still quite important in China, and that's not surprising given the surge in COVID. Yeah, yeah, right. And, you know, that's what we're saying elsewhere in the survey, that a lot of the world other than China and Japan have moved on from concerns about the um, COVID pandemic. Yeah. Okay, we talked about some of the overarching results of the annual survey and some of the similarities and differences by region. Next, we're going to zoom into you know, even more specifics. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. As you and your company monitor the volatile and uncertain economy, the award-winning forecast team at the Conference Board predicts a downturn by the end of 2022. Recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, and as the conference board has always done, we are providing you with daily, timely, and relevant content that will guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges. To find out how you can chart a course for the future which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side, visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, your indispensable guide through the global recession, located at conference-board.org slash topics slash recession. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Paul Washington, who's the Executive Director of the ESG Center at the Conference Board. Okay, so some of, Paul, some of, you know, we've gone through some of the key differences. Now, 
how does this how's this going to play out in 2023 so how are ceos thinking about this and which are the most significant overall threats to business and what are they going to do about it i think one of the things that they're doing about it uh, about the threats that are coming from the economic slowdown and frankly they're recognizing that climate is a is a big change uh, that's happening now and, and so forth. And of course, the geopolitical instability. I think this highlights that this is a different moment for CEOs and companies from the past. You know, if you had an economic downturn, that may just be what you were focusing on and you'd lay off people, right? That was a sort of easy solution. But this, this right now, we're we're undergoing multiple simultaneously if not crises, extremely challenging circumstances. And we're doing it against the backdrop of things like, you know, labor shortages. So I think what CEOs are doing right now is, and their whole C-suite, is that they're taking a much more nuanced approach to a dealing with these challenges that they're presented with. It's very company specific, and they're trying not to back off the investments that they've been making in people, in sustainability and so forth, um, just because we're, we're facing a, a downturn, they're, they're shifting their priorities in some cases, but they're, they're not sort of just wholesaling, wholesale stopping a lot of what they've been doing because they recognize that they, they can't. Yeah. And we asked specifically, you know, as, as it relates to threats, you know, you mentioned threats, we asked specifically, what, what are the significant threats, what are the most significant threats to your business operation posed by climate and environment? Yeah. Interesting, interesting answers here. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to me that the biggest threats across the board, basically, are energy costs, not surprising, and regulation. So those are, those are when it comes to the climate, those are... Those are top. Now, you know, to a lay person, you would think, oh, well, climate, the biggest issues there are going to be uh, wind events or weather events or so forth. But that's not really the case. That's number five globally and in the US, but it doesn't even make the top 10 in Europe. So wind and weather are important impacts, but you really do see that it's increased regulation around the globe when it comes to uh, tracking your greenhouse gas emissions and so forth. So regulation is a global phenomenon. And, you know, obviously up increased energy costs from the shift to renewables is also an important one. Uh, by the way, the other thing that's interesting to me is that investment in renewables is high in the U.S. and Europe, but much lower in other areas, either because they are further along in renewable energy, including nuclear power, or they may not even be considering it so much yet, for example, in the case of China. Yeah. Now, you know, sustainability is, you know, is, is a big label uh, for a lot of these, you know, things that you've been talking about. And, and companies are very focused around the globe on sustainability. But this, you know, this economic slowdown and mm -hmm. as well, the ESG backlash that we've discussed, uh, you know, previously are, are having an impact here. Talk about uh, that impact. Yeah, this is, I think, one of the most interesting parts of the C-suite outlook, which is what is the impact of the economic slowdown and on the backlash uh, against DSG on sustainability investments? And 
there is a greater impact from the slowdown than from the backlash. Let me just give you a few statistics. When it comes to the economic slowdown, 38% of CEOs globally say new no impact. 31% say there's going to be a, a, a shift or a, a priorities and so forth. And 25% say there's going to be a delay. So that shows that, you know, there's it, you know, there's a substantial number of companies in each of those buckets when it comes to the slowdown. When it comes to ESG backlash, uh, globally, it's 59%, much higher, say no impact, 21% say a shift, and just 15% say there will be a delay. So I, this all makes sense to me because ESG sustainability is being increasingly built into and not bolted on to companies' businesses. It is now increasingly part of their ordinary course of business. So what does that mean? So when you have an economic slowdown, a lot of firms are facing significant potential investments in renewable energy or innovation and sustainability space. So they may in fact be slowing some of those down because of uh, the economic slowdown. But if it's built into your business, you're not going to back off just because there's some backlash from policymakers or investors and others. So that's why I think there's a bigger impact from the slowdown than from the backlash. Okay, another area is, um, is the energy transition. We're embarking here on a 25-year transition from largely carbon-based to a hopefully non-carbon-based um, energy future, but there are some disconnects on this. Yes, and... This is a place where boards can really earn their, their retainers um, because there's a disconnect. So the shift to renewable energy is actually a relatively low priority for CEOs around the globe. It's not even in the top 10. But here's the disconnect. Nearly half, 49% of CEOs globally see the shift to renewables as a positive for their business. Moreover. Um, you know, energy generally is a top priority for CEOs, and a majority of CEOs say that climate change is here. So if there's business opportunity in shifting to renewables, if climate, the impact is it's it's here now or in the next five years for, for your company, there's a disconnect if companies aren't really focusing on the shift to renewables. So this is a place where boards can ask about, okay, what is the impact of climate on the company? What are we doing in terms of the shift to renewables? Not just to satisfy some regulatory reporting requirements, but because it's a genuine business opportunity. So CEO, management team, tell us about what you see as the future of the shift to renewables at our company. Boards can, you know, you know if CEOs are, if there's a disconnect going on here in the management level, boards can really step in to help. Okay, another place there was a disconnect is when we ask about crisis management. Mm -hmm. about well, it is interesting. So CEOs are significantly less confident about their company's preparedness to respond to crises than their direct reports. So for example, this is particularly true in cyber where 
Just 41% of CEOs think that they're prepared for a cyber attack compared to 53% of their direct reports. Supply chain, um, it's 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 equal. It's 20, it's you know, equally sort of concerning. You know, 28% of CEOs have confidence, but 36% of their direct reports do. So, and by the way, in our other work that we've done at the conference board, no one's really perfectly happy about crisis management, uh, the state of crisis management capabilities. So we found out from prior surveys that the management team isn't comfortable that the board is ready. And we asked board members what they think, and they're not completely confident that management is ready. So what does this mean? At a minimum, it means that, again, the board should ask management not for some detailed, boring presentation on, you know, crisis management plans at a granular level, but really, where are we in terms of our preparedness? For what are the major crises that we see out there? And how prepared are we? What's our process for addressing them? Where is management in it? And that question from the board will force the CEO and the rest of the management team to get together and actually come to a consensus view. So I think you can decrease the space that exists between CEOs' perceptions and their direct reports' views by having something to present to the board. And frankly, it'll help make the board and everyone else more comfortable that the company is prepared. Yeah, you know, Paul, I think another thing, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, a black swan event by definition mm -hmm. is unpredictable and you can't prepare for it and should be sort of a once in a lifetime kind of deal. But we've had a series of black swan events, you know, whether we're talking pandemics, whether we're talking financial crisis, whether we're talking social crisis, all happen within, you know, the, the, you know, the last couple of decades. So on, on one hand, you know, if you think about crisis management as it relates to black swans, it's it's by definition impossible to prepare for, right? And so I I, I think it, you know at some level it's the definition of what's a crisis, whether it's a black swan or a gray swan or just you know ordinary everyday business, right? Yeah. So a crisis is something that by definition takes you away from your ordinary course of business. They come in all flavors. I, I think one area that that it's very helpful for boards and management teams to talk about are a couple of things. One is um, the interconnectedness of crises. Are you ready for multiple simultaneous ones? And, um, you know, are you ready for something that, you know, has a long-term impact? Because we often think of a crisis as, okay, you're one and done and you're over. But as we've seen with the war on Ukraine, it's had a cascading effect around the globe, you know, in, in terms of inflation, which then leads to uh, increased interest rates, which leads to the recession, food shortages, and so forth. So I think crisis management also needs to be viewed much more interconnected, much more long-term um, kind of potential effects here. Yeah. Last question, a series of questions relate to uh, where we see ESG issues that CEOs don't. Maybe you could talk us through um, the E, the S, and the G as it relates to that. Sure. So uh, on each of them, in the E area, it's interesting. In the U.S., 21% of CEOs see no material impact from climate change on their company. Now, that's not because CEOs are thinking there isn't climate change. They just think it's not going to affect their company. I think the disconnect here is CEOs or the blind spot is those CEOs may not be recognizing that climate isn't just going to affect 
carbon intensive industries, it's going to affect everyone through regulation, either directly of them or regulation of their business partners that they're going to have to comply with. Um, it goes well beyond weather and wind. There are a whole lot of collateral effects from climate change. So I think, you know, hopefully every CEO is thinking about climate's effect on the company. And again, boards can say, okay, CEOs, have you really looked at the full inventory of the way that um, climate can affect our company? Because you want to make sure you're doing a comprehensive view. Yeah, then, then you got to have to move from the uh, environmental to the social. To the social, sure. On the social side, so in the US, democracy, elections, voting rights, that cluster of issues ranks number five as a social priority for, for CEOs. But it's interesting. So, you know, externally, CEOs are concerned about democracy. Internally, they're much less concerned about their own corporate political activity. But I will tell you that investors and others see these things going hand in hand. You have to have your own corporate political activity house in order, you know, not do say one thing and do the other. Sufficient transparency, sufficient controls so that CEOs are not accused of being hypocrites in chief. So before you can go off and start talking about democracy, election and voting rights, you got to make sure that your own lobbying and um, corporate political spending efforts are, uh, are, are in good shape because otherwise you don't have much credibility to speak out on some of these issues. Yeah. And then finally governance and, you know, the, yeah, it doesn't seem like improving governance is a big priority for them. No, it is far from being in the top 10 actually, but this is, this is again, a real potential problem because in the U S right now, it's interesting investors are, you know, so much attention is paid to how investors are taking stance on environmental and social issues. Well, actually, investors are pretty much open to compromise and looking for common ground with companies on a lot of environmental and social issues. Investors are taking an increasingly hard line on governance issues about overboarding directors or lack of diversity in the board and so forth. So we're seeing higher votes against directors. So, you know, you've got investors who care still very much about the G in ESG. The other thing is that there are these profound shifts that are happening right now with the focus on ESG, the focus on stakeholder capitalism. Those are having a meaningful impact in corporate boardrooms that goes beyond just updating your corporate charters to make sure that there's some committee overseeing ESG. We've got a report coming out this month on the role of the board in the era of ESG and stakeholder capitalism. I'll put a plug in for that. I'd encourage everyone to read it. And I think that will sort of sound the bell that there's a lot of work, good work, good work that can be done in enhancing a company's governance during this era. All right, Paul Washington, we've been talking about the, the C-suite outlook big survey here at the conference board, our big study each year. You can find the results more specifically on our website and uh, get into even more detail than ESG. Paul, thanks for being with us today. It was a pleasure to be with you, Steve. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in geopolitics, ESG, economics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family. I know they're gonna to wanna to listen. 
I'm Steve Odlin, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You've been listening to a podcast from the Conference Board, the indispensable ally that has helped businesses through war, recession, and economic transformation for over 100 years. As recent unexpected economic challenges persist, you can chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side. Just visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at www.conference-board.org slash topics slash recession.